This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary for State for Intelligence and Research. Ellen's role before she joined, uh, rejoined the government service uh, with State Department, she served as the president of Nobilis NSP, overseeing the organization and leading its mission to serve clients in the intelligence community. Prior to that, Ellen was chief operating officer of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. So first off, Ellen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. So to get started, um, why don't we just dig right into leadership and leadership style. How would you describe your leadership style? You know, um, I love this question. You know, I always have viewed myself um, from, I mean, pretty much from the moment I started working um, was that really it's my job to ensure that the people I work for or with um, have all the tools and resources that they need to succeed. You know, you hate it when people say they're a people person, but I'll tell you, I, I, I credit this view um, largely to my, my start in working was as a waitress. And so, you know, I really understood um, how important service is, how important good service is, and how when you're, when you're working with colleagues, when you're providing them all they need to succeed, that, that everything, everything does better. Not only do you, do you succeed in reaching your objectives, but you usually, you know, you, you go past your objectives. So, I, I mean, I guess I have to say that it's, it's being service-minded. Fantastic. Um, so any stories that you could share about a leadership challenge that you faced and, and, or an obstacle and how you got through it? Oh my gosh, there, there have been so many challenges. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I think uh, an, an example of a challenge that I had when I was um, at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency um, was I was um, implementing a strategy that had been set out by the director, and it was my job to bring the entire senior leadership team on board with fulfilling some of the objectives that were laid out in that strategy. And I'm, as I said, I was a waitress. I'm a great believer in you know food as, as, a, as a place to bring everybody together. I would bring pizzas to lunch every week, and I'd have the senior leadership team together, and we would all talk about what we needed to do to move out on the strategy. And it was my first meeting with the director, and I was feeling so good about all that we had accomplished. And literally just before that meeting, I was meeting with the team, and two people got up and walked out. And it was very clear to me that when they walked out, they were not happy. They were not happy with what was going to happen. And I literally came home that night, put my head on the kitchen table and said, I cannot believe this. I thought I had them. You know, I'm a failure. And uh, it was actually my husband who said, well, Helen, have you actually talked to them outside of uh, these group lunches? Have you actually sat down with some of these people one-on-one and talked to them? And, you know, the, the answer is no, I had not. And so the reality is why I thought I was communicating, I really wasn't. While I thought I was bringing people on board with the vision, I really wasn't. And, and I'll tell you that I, I, I really added that to, um, to my plan, started meeting with those folks, especially people in the intelligence community, they, they tend to be introverts. And so with, with much better success, you know, some people just aren't comfortable talking in, in a group. Um, and so I'll tell you, I, I thank my husband and, and I, I do beat myself against the head, my head because I thought I knew this. Um, but, you know, you need a reminder every once in a while. So do you ever find, uh, I know that as being a leader in the high tech community, there's many meetings across my span of my 35 years career where I walk in and nobody looks like me at the meeting. 
<laughs> I'm the only woman at the table. Um, and do you find that you have to maybe approach groups differently because of who you are and what you're talking to them about? You know, I'll tell you, I think you do. You know, I think, you know, there's a, what is the, is it Peter Drucker who made the comment that culture will eat strategy for breakfast or lunch or dinner or something along those lines. Um, and I'll tell you that that's absolutely the case. Every place I've worked, of course, has had a very different culture. And so you have to, you have to adapt to that. Um, again, using my NGA example, um, having worked in small organizations, it was very easy to get to people. But in a larger organization, it's much more challenging. You know, how, how do you get to 15,000 people? Um, and how do you get to 15,000 people who may not want to change? And how do you get to 15,000 people when you look different than most of them? Um, and so you very much have to be sensitive to um, um, how people um, succeed, how people operate. Um, I'll tell you that uh, certainly at my time at INR, um, you know, spending that time getting to meet our folks and understanding how they operated was just critical to any of the successes we had over the last two years. Um, and then getting to your point about looking different than someone in the room. Um, you know, I, I, again, I would say that you just, you, the, the culture, just understanding how this agency operates is, is just so critical to be able to succeed in it, no matter how you look or whether you are the only woman in the room. So um, getting to understand a culture is, is critical to um, any plan, um, any task. So Alan, have you, in your, uh, in, in your career span, have you met a great leader? Can you define what a great leader is? So, you know, I'll tell you that to, from my optic, a great leader is somebody who has a clear vision, is courageous, has integrity, is honest, is humble, has a clear focus. Um, again, I think great leaders help people reach their goals. They're not afraid to surround themselves with people that might be better than them, and they take pride in the accomplishments of those people. I mean, I've got to tell you, I have been blessed. It's, it's funny, as I was thinking about today, I was thinking about the, all the great leaders that I've had who've had an impact on me. Um, I mean, and, and some of them were my bosses, and, and many of them were not my bosses. They were colleagues or people who were junior to me, um, or people in history. Um, I'll tell you that, uh, just, just to name a few, I mean, Fran Townsend, um, who was uh, Director of Coast Guard Intelligence when I was working for the Coast Guard, I mean, she taught me that, you know, I could put away those very sensible suits and pantyhose and I could actually, you know, look the way I wanted to look and, and, and that that was going to be helpful because I'm going to be more empowered to take on challenges and feel and, and, and be strengthened to actually be me. Um, uh, Tish Long, the director of NGA, who expected the people around her to give her critical feedback. She wanted good feedback, but she didn't want to be, she wanted no yes people around her. She wanted to hear where her strengths were and where her weaknesses were. Um, Admiral Tom Wilson, the director of DIA, um, leadership in person. I mean, this was a man who would, at the end of the day, walk around, sit down next to you, no matter how senior or junior you were, and talk to you about what were you doing and ask how you were doing. He would put little smiley faces on messages that he thought were particularly good. Um, I'll tell you, and even most recently, um, in my time at State Department, um, Secretary of St Deputy Secretary of State Steve Began, uh, he was an incredible leader who um, inspired all of us to want to do better. He was smart. He was humble. He was reachable. Um, he, he showed up at people's going away parties, and nobody could ever imagine that the Deputy Secretary of State would take that time um, to come and say goodbye to them. He, he gave time to his people. Uh, I, I could go on and on, but these, these are the traits of, of the leaders that I've learned from and have tried to emulate. 
So have you ever learned an important lesson that you wish all leaders could learn as they progress? I mean, it sounds like you had some great mentors along the way, but if, is there any lesson that you, you, you wish you went back in time and, and learned uh, uh, faster? Um, you know, I'll tell you that I wish, you know, I, the lesson that I wish I had learned sooner, um, it actually um, was going back to um, Fran Townsend when she was the director of Coast Guard Intelligence. And, and you know, I've got to tell you, I've, I've never been somebody who's worried about where I'm going. Um, I tended to enjoy sort of where I'm at. You know, it's not about the destination, it's where you are. And um, I, I mean, that's why I think I look back on my career and it's just been, um, I, I still can't believe it. But I will say there was one day I was sitting down with Fran, I was a GS-15, and I was saying to Fran, you know, I don't understand, why am I not being asked to, you know, why am I not being detailed to some of these other positions? And she said, Ellen, you got to get out. And when she meant out, it was about, um, you know, developing your network. And I'll tell you, when I heard that, I bristled a little bit because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm doing, I do great work. I think I'm respected in my community. And she said, that's the problem. You need to get out of your community. You know, the IC is about providing insights to others. You know, the intelligence community supports the president in policymaking, or the secretary of state in policymaking, or law enforcement and law enforcement operations, or defense and defense operations. And if, if you know, we, we provide support to others. You've got to get out and, and meet those others and understand their needs and, and have them get to know you. And I wish I had done that sooner in my career. I tell you, it was hard the first time I did it. Um, but boy, um, it's, it's advice I now give to everybody I talk to, no matter where they are, that it's just critically important that you invest time in being good at what you do, but you also have to invest in building your network, following up with, with teams that you've worked with in the past, you know, reaching out to those that you want to be more like, that it's just incredibly critical. So, you know, I've mentored many women early in their career, and I, and I find that um, it's not unusual to find, uh, you know, where they're working really hard and they're expecting people to notice and they're not investing in themselves. And what you just talked about was investing in yourself, right, to create that network, that lifelong you know, uh, it's almost like a bank account that, you know, will, will continue to accrue interest over time. Um, so, you know, uh, first off, um, do you see that sometimes in, in younger women early in their career? And the second thing is, if there's one of them out there, is there a networking option that you would recommend? Oh, my God. I mean, the answer is yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, I will tell you that um, one uh, accomplishment that I'm particularly proud of along the lines of the question you've asked is um, about, well, maybe seven years ago, um, I was at this point in my career and I was talking to a couple of friends that we really felt like we actually needed some mentoring from um, women who are more junior in their careers. We need to understand what matters to them. Um, you know, we all, we all need mentoring. We all need networking. And so seven years ago, um, a group of 40 women um, sat down in my living room and we set up what was called the Amazing Women in the IC, AWIT. Um, and this was a group of, initially it was supposed to be about reverse mentoring, but we became very clear was how women in and around the IC are, and, and no matter where they are, are desperately in need of a group, a, a trusted group, that, a, trust, a trusted network, almost a club, um, where you can go and uh, safely talk about the things that are working and the things that are not working and help one another. And I'm going to tell you, I'm very proud of the amazing women in the IC. We are not a 501c3 or c6. We're literally a club. It started with 40. We're now over 2,000 women in all places in their career. Um, I'll tell you, we host happy hours and, and, and events. This is all volunteer. 
Um, it, for any of those who, any of your um, listeners who are interested in more, I'm happy to share on that. But I, I will tell you that um, I can't tell you the times I'd leave State Department and I'd call up one of my friends and say, I don't think I'm going to this A with event and I'm tired, but I would show up and I would walk out so energized. And so I just think that gets to, um, especially you know, based on a question you asked earlier, that in, in this very male-dominated um, profession, um, to have a network of women who understand, um, who support one another, um, and who help one another um, has just proven to be incredibly valuable. Well, you thank you for donating your living room and, and starting that because I truly believe that you, you have a responsibility for that next generation. And it sounds like not only did you invest in yourself, but you invest in others. I, I will tell you, and I'm going to put a shameless plug in because um, AWIC, a couple of the women running AWIC right now have a new podcast out called Iron Butterfly. And it is, I would, I would encourage those to look it up. It's, it's incredibly um, um, interesting. Uh, it, goes, it talks to women in and around the IC, um, provides advice, provides insights into what they're doing. I caught it. It is a wonderful show, and I will put the link on ours. Um, I'm speaking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. After the break, we'll discuss leadership, decision-making, and communication, and why it's important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. Um, I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. Uh, you know, in, in the last segment, we talked a lot about, you know, um, you know, leadership style, but what is the most important decision you can make as a leader for your organization? The most important decision, I, I'll tell you, I, I think as it's to understand the needs of your customer or your client or your partner. I think it's being passionate about who you're working for or who you're working with. I'll tell you, as, a, as an intelligence officer um, for 30 years, um, I learned very early on that when given a task, how critical it is to go back and, and, and to the person or the um, entity that asked the question and find out what is it they really want. Um, it's being customer obsessed. And and I'll tell you, if you do that, then, you know, if you truly understand what, what is needed, then, then you can go back to your colleagues or your team and you can, and you can actually communicate that, explain what you need to do, bring people on board. Um, I'll tell you, set, set the task, um, set objectives and let people go and run. And they always do. Um, and, and I'll tell you the other thing I think that uh, you need to do as a leader is listen more, talk less. I'll tell you, my first year at, at INR, Bureau of Intelligence and Research at the State Department, um, this was the first time I'd actually worked in a policy organization, a foreign policy organization. I spent one year um, meeting with my bosses, um, both at the Secretary of State level, the undersecretaries, the assistant secretaries, the ambassadors, and teams at the posts, as well as, as the folks I, I worked with. And I'll tell you, it was, an, it was worth every minute of that year. And I listened, listened, and listened. And so I would highly encourage anybody who's starting a new job, again, no matter where they are in an organization, to take the time to listen. Um, it's incredibly powerful. You will learn so much. And um, you'll get people on board with you. So. so let's take a step back about making decisions. You know, how do you approach how to decide what you do? Do you make a decision by committee or do you think a leader should just make them? Or do you think you should approach things differently based on the situation? Well, again, I, you know, it, it depends on what the, you know, every, every job I've had has had sort of different 
as, as a leader, whether again, no matter what grade I was operating at, they were all a little different, you know, in terms of the task at hand. I'll tell you, Eileen, I'm very strategic. Um, and so what I have found is, um, again, it gets back to that listening tour and sort of figuring out, you know, what, and, and starting with your customer, it's figuring out sort of what needs to be done. Is it, you know, in the case of my time at INR, it was very clear that we needed um, to invest more resources in, in, in some very critical areas um, that supported foreign policy making, so emerging technology and, and, and cyber. And and so, you know, it was it was by doing this listening tour, I actually was able to identify, it was also integrating intelligence more closely with policy. These are big, big, big things to do. And um, so it was it was going on this listening tour and really understanding sort of where we needed to go. Again, being strategic, um, for me, I actually put forth a, a five-year strategy, um, aligned the objectives in that strategy by every year to resources. And because I had been listening to people for years, I could identify who in the organization was most poised to um, take on these objectives. And then I let them go and just held them responsible, you know, followed up on a very regular basis. So, you know, I, I actually think being strategic, you can apply to just about any problem that you're trying to deal with, even if it's a very tactical problem, you know, it's, it's about getting a message to a submarine. Um, so, so I, I think for me, it's about, um, it's about clearly articulating the objective and then, and then empowering people to, to, to do what it is they need to do to meet it. And, and as I said very early on in this discussion, it's about making sure they have the tools to do it. Earlier in our discussion, you brought up Peter Drucker's um, statement or, or, or quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, you know, you, you brought up culture earlier about making sure that you understood the culture. So what do you believe is the relationship between leadership and culture? And how does leadership in effect, you know, or change a culture of an organization? You know, it's really hard to change a culture, uh, you know, and, and I'll, again, going back to my time at, at INR, um, for those of you who may not be familiar with INR, it is one of the three all-source intelligence organizations um, on, uh, on par with the Central Intelligence Agency and the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, we're actually the oldest all-source um, organization. We, we date back to 75 years to the Office of Strategic Services, um, the OSS, and um, it's, it's uh, a very proud organization. Um, I, I think it was one, it's one of the smartest. And, and so, you know, coming in as somebody from the outside, you know, I'm an intelligence officer, I had never worked in the state, you know, anything that I wanted to do was going to be all the more challenging because these were people who had pretty much been doing the things they've been doing for 75 years and they were very entrenched um, and, and they were very good. And so if I was going to, you know, as I indicated earlier, I really identified that things we needed to do was to invest more in INR so that they could be more integrated with their with the policymaking client. But I had to be very careful. I had to be very respectful of how they operate, who they are. Very smart people tend to spend at a minimum 17 years experience in their region or function, have close relationships with the foreign service. You know, I, I had to respect that culture. And if I was going to introduce new things, I had to work with it. And the, the strategy I used was saying, look, at the at, at, at at your core, at the foundation, INR is doing just fine. I, I spoke to all of our clients and almost every one of them said INR is an incredible organization. So it was not about changing who they were, it was about building on top of who they were. 
And by doing that, it, it, I wasn't a threat to the culture. I was actually respectful of it. I was working within it and I was, I was bringing them on board. And I'll tell you that, so over time, I mean, there, there will be incremental change as more people see that it's okay to ask for more or it's okay to try something different. And, and so, I, I mean, I think it's, it's by working within a culture that, that introducing um, new ideas um, with folks, with getting them on board is, is how you succeed. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Amy Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. So, Ellen, you've had some very important roles. Um, you just spoke about your role at, at a State Department. What about your roles as COO of NGA? Can you share what it's like being an executive in an intelligence today, maybe at a big agency like that? You know, what, what drew you to just these incredible missions? You know, I got to tell you, I, I one of my um, one of my favorite bosses I mentioned earlier was um, Admiral Tom Wilson, and he provided provided me advice very um, early in my career, which was to work hard, play hard, sleep smart, and he also uh, encouraged me to think about positions that were fun and interesting. And so I'd love to say that I had this great master plan to, you know, the things that I wanted to do while I was working in, in the IT, but I really didn't. I mean, I took the jobs that frankly sounded like fun. And, you know, it, it kind of it worked out in the end. Um, and, and so NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, um, is, is the IC agency that focuses on imagery, intelligence, and mapping, um, you know, on, on visualizing data. Uh, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's just a very cool organization. But, but I'll also tell you, one of the main reasons I went to NGA was because of my boss. I was going to be working directly for Tish Long. She was the director of NGA at the time, the first woman to run a major combat support agency within the IC. Um, I knew Tish. I knew her reputation. I knew that this was going to be, I'd never worked in a large uh, combat support agency or collection agency. Uh, also one that's very cool, you know, that, you know, we're all visual beings, so this, this concept of, of providing pictures and images to um, your customer, I found very compelling. And so I decided to, to at the time I was running a small not-for-profit called the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, and when Tish said, do you want to come back? I didn't have to think twice. I, I will tell you though that it, you know, running, moving from very small intel organizations where I had spent most of my career, like the Coast Guard or the INSAs, to these very, very large agency was, um, indeed, uh, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I learned a lot. As I mentioned um, earlier, if you're trying to introduce some new capabilities, it's a lot easier to do that with 300 people than, say, 15,000 people. Um, but I'll tell you, I learned uh, so much about, you know, still about, about understanding a culture and identifying folks in the organization that could help you achieve the objectives that you laid out, about surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, um, about building trust. It was it was a great it was a great experience and I'll tell you I think it set me up for my last job in government at INR so understanding how the big agencies work how they um, how they get their resources how they provide their insights um, was very helpful to me as I moved to INR. I'm speaking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that is trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. So, 
you know, we and the close I mentioned, um, you know, leadership through change, but getting organizations to adopt change are sometimes some of the biggest leadership challenges. And you've talked a little bit about it through our conversation, but how do you approach leading an organization to adopt major change? I mean, do you have a strategy to keep your team focused on, you know, come on, sometimes, especially in the amazing missions of the organizations that you have, you're asking them to come up with a solution that most people may not think are even possible. But how do you lead people through achieving the amazing? Well, I'll tell you um, what I, you know, what I've learned. I've spent a couple of times of, you know, over my 30 years outside of government working in um, the private sector, and what I've learned is, you know, especially in, in in organizations that are providing technical solutions to government problems. And I will tell you, the one thing I've learned is that it really is almost never about the technology. I mean, it, now we are incredibly innovative. We need to incorporate technology into the intelligence community, but it's always about the people. You know, once you identify um, the problem or the thing you're trying to fix, you know, that's, that's, that's really where you need to start. You, you, can, you can then either develop the technology or incorporate the technology and incorporate the solution. But it's really about identifying where, where do we need to go and, and, and clearly um, articulating to your people about not only this is where we need to go, but make it very clear to what the outcome is that you're expecting. And I think that's, the, so I mentioned earlier that I'm very strategic. You know, I, I went at INR and at NGA, listening tour, set a strategy, set objectives. But, you know, the problem is, is that if you can't tell people what this means, you know, in, at INR, we had a five-year strategy called INR 2025. If you can't sit down with every person, every customer and say, this is what you're going to see in INR 2025, this is the outcome you should expect, then you know, you're never, you're never going to get there. And I think that is a challenge with some strategies is, you know, I've read them or, or some planning documents where it's not clear to me what it is we're trying to do. It's just, you know, especially within government, we throw a lot of big words out there and we say, okay, this is where we need to go. Nobody knows where it is. So, so for me, it's developing a plan um, making that plan very clear, um, you know, bringing people, I, I love the, the saying, you can plan to fail or fail to plan. Um, and so it's, it's not only having a plan, but it's also having a plan B um, so that if you don't achieve the objective that you actually set out for, there's something else that you've got to as, as backup. And, and then it's, again, it's, it's really quite simple. It's aligning your resources to it. It's finding the folks that actually can, can help uh, achieve this plan because again, you've surrounded yourself by people smarter than you. And, and it's making sure those folks have everything they need to succeed and celebrating when they do. It, it, you know, it's not that hard. And I, I'll tell you, I've learned that it's, it's not that hard in small agencies like INR, and it's, it's actually not that hard in the big agencies like the NGAs and, and, and the NSAs. If, if you're a leader who focuses on outcome and you hold people accountable, you, you really can do anything. So you, you have so much passion and, and, and confidence. Have you ever faced a personal obstacle that you had to get over to develop, you know, this amazing leadership skill that you have today? I'm so glad you went there because, you know, I had not that long ago this young woman um, who said, have you ever had imposter syndrome? And I had no idea what she was talking about. And so I actually looked it up and I Googled it. And I realized that there's, there's pretty much not been a single job I've had since I've been working that I haven't felt like um, I am not ready for it. I am not equipped for it. Will they ever find out that they have totally hired the wrong person? I mean, even, even at INR, you know, this, this sort of just nagging self-doubt. And, and this is where, you know, that network, um, the AWICs of the world, 
um, your mentors um, come in so handy. And, and it's also where you know, you're surrounding yourself by people who are smarter than you, but also people who are willing to tell you what, what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Um, and, and, and so that's, you know, that's, but, but I, I, maybe it's just a woman thing, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think I've gained self-confidence with age, but also because I have developed this incredible network who will tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. But uh, I will tell you, imposter syndrome is, is it, it was a new concept to me, but it was one I didn't realize I'd lived with my whole life. Well, for me, and, and I, I, I think you're right. I think I've, I think there's a lot of people out there that have uh, have experienced imposter syndrome. I don't think it's just a, just for women. You do find it quite often in women. But I, I think what I learned was I not being afraid to fail and learn from it, because it's the safety of understanding that you can learn, and develop and grow. And 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 a mistake isn't a mistake if you learn from it. It's it's just a trial run, right? So, you know, I mean, um, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I'll tell you, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was a waitress and, you know, I've told a lot of people this and they think it's just my, my, my shtick, but it's really not. There's something to having a plan B. And so, you know, for me, if I failed in this job, I could always go back to waitressing. I liked it. I was good at it, you know, and it meant that I was willing to try new things and take on more risk. And I think you're absolutely right about, um, you know, being willing to fail and learn from it and having so, a plan B. Having a plan B, excellent. Uh, so you have worked both in public and private sector. You have not had a straight line career. You have, you have um, been able to navigate between both. Do you think there's a, different, a difference in the abilities or the need for different types of leadership in private versus public sector? Oh, I love that question. You know, it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's absolutely, there absolutely is, you know, there is differences. I mean, at the end of the day, I think basically good leaders are good leaders. You know, I define, you know, people who are humble and smart and surround themselves with people smarter than them and um, are honest. You know, I think those traits are common to leaders in the public and private sector. I think the biggest differences are um, the motivations and, and those factors for success, you know, those measures for success. I'll tell you, for the longest time, I, I was in government, and I and I really didn't understand the role of the private sector in support to the IC. And so I just looked at those folks as contractors. I had no idea how incredibly critical, um, you know, the the private sector is in terms of the intelligence community's ability to do its job, um, whether you're at NSA or CIA or DIA, and that this concept of of making money is not a bad measure. Um, that that really measure money is a measure of value. And if you're providing good value, if you're providing a good service or, or a good tool, you'll, you'll make money. And in some ways in government, I look at it and I'm like, I'm jealous of that because it's sometimes hard to identify those measures of success when you're, when you're in government. Um, and, and so this, this concept of money as a measure and what it takes to make money. So, you know, uh, you know, bid no bids and pipeline reviews and contracts and how to do contracts and how to, I mean, that, that was a completely new world for me. Um, I'll tell you, I'll never forget one day I was sitting in a, a pipeline review when I was working at Noblis NSP. And for those of you who don't, you know, a pipeline review is when a company actually sits down and they assess an opportunity and they look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I was texting uh, one of my friends in government and I said, you know, if we in government spend as much time um, figuring out how, what the thing is that we need as the private sector does, figuring out whether or not they're even gonna look at this opportunity, um, we would all be in, in a different place. So in answer to your question, yeah, I mean, leadership is leadership, but um, how folks operate, motivators, measures of success are very different. 
You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary for State Intelligence uh, in Research. I'm sorry. Um, Ellen, you know, we are just starting to seem like we might be coming out of the pandemic. Um, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for government executives or really even uh, private sector executives in the aftermath of COVID-19? You know, um, I'll tell you, COVID-19 uh, was, a you know, certainly is a curse. None of us, I mean, we're all done with it, I think, um, uh, for just so many, so many reasons. But I'll tell you, there was, it was a little bit of a blessing um, in terms of uh, my time in the intelligence community because it really forced the community with a very sort of risk averse culture to do some things that they always had wanted to do, but now they were, they had to do in order to continue to operate. So, you know, with, with half of your workforce operating from home, most of the Intel agencies would do a blue team, gold team concept. So you didn't have so many people um, working in an office. That, mean, that meant that you had to think about mobility in a way that had never been thought of before. Um, because the intelligence community operates much more um, in the classified world, uh, you know, that th it's hard to work from home because most people don't have access to classified systems. But the reality is, is that there's so many insights that you can gain from publicly available information. And so I'll tell you that when I was at INR um, and I had my analysts sitting at home, I asked them to start writing products based on publicly available information. And, and I'll tell you, we did a product line called The Commentary. We wrote about 500 of them when I was there to great um, review because now our clients, the secretary and the ambassador to the post could actually get those insights in a way that they couldn't get them before. They had to be sitting on classified systems to get our analysis. Now we could actually get them to them in a place where they operated day to day. And so that was really a great thing. And it also meant that mobility also meant is that folks you know, could actually spend some time at home and spend some time thinking and doing research and, and operating at a little different pace. And as a result, our products, I thought, were just so much better as, as a result. And, and our clients were much more willing to, to accept that. So I, I will tell you that I think mobility, this concept of, of this, this hybrid model where you can operate from home and at work. And I think most importantly was the fact that the, the IC can work with publicly available information. They can gain insights to that data that they once thought they could only get from classified means. Again, this is a culture issue. The IC is very comfortable operating in the secret, but, but now I think there's much more discussion and, and you're gonna see that the IC is gonna be much more open to working with open source information and producing at that level. And who knows, maybe even adding the American public on as a client. So you brought up data and we saw so much uh, organizations that were very effective at reacting very quickly that were using data uh, as a strategic asset and, um, and, and getting data from more than one source, right? And understanding where that data came from. Because you, you bring up, you know, when, you, when you're looking at data just on the World Wide Web, you can get a lot of data that has opinions in it, right? So you have to understand where that data is coming from and put it in the right perspective. And then you can have a really a total picture. Do you think um, the IC community is on a road to be better at data sharing. I mean, that's kind of what you just said, but you know, traditionally that's, you know, that's not their, their natural muscle. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll tell you, I, again, I'm glad you asked so many questions about culture and leadership because I'll tell you that, um, you know, the, the, the intelligence community and how it operates is based on a model that was designed in the 1940s, you know, so when we were the only game in town and our clients, whether they were the president or the warfighter, the law enforcement officer was really dependent on, 
um, on, on the Intel community to provide insights that could only be obtained through national technical means. You know, we are very different now, 75 years later. And the reality is, is that there are just, the, the fact of the matter is, is the IC has got a lot of competitors in the private sector. Um, you know, there's just, we're, we're all being drowned in data and there are these incredible capabilities that are being developed every day that help us derive insights from that data and, and deliver it in a way that is faster and more impactful than, than the way that the IC does it right now, for, for, in my opinion. And, and so I'll tell you that this is a great motivator to the intelligence community because we're all seeing it. You know, I saw it was one reason why I was so excited to go to INR and get to spend a couple of years actually developing a strategy and, and, and doing some of the things that I thought needed to be done, especially with, um, with, with data. You know, I, I sort of alluded to earlier in the discussion that I was worried about how intelligence was being integrated with policymaking. And if intelligence is not integrated, the policymaker is going to get those insights from potentially bad data sources. And I believe that there's nobody better at, at analyzing and at assessing and at beating up data than the analysts in the intelligence community. You know, they're smart. They know their area. They, they understand bias. I mean, they, we, we really need to focus on how can we be more integrated. And the way we do that is by working more closely with open source. Because if we continue hiding behind classification, we're going to lose out. Um, the reality is, is that you can gain incredible insights faster and better. Um, I saw it when I was in the private sector, and I saw it when I was back in in government. And if, if we don't, if we don't figure this out, I'm, I'm frankly very worried about our community. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal's Net News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. Next, we'll find out. Ellen's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Ellen McCarthy, former Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence Research. Ellen, we have a new administration with over 4,000 new executives being confirmed every day. A lot of change. What advice would you give to those career government executives, like you know, like you were in your past roles, to navigate these changes and ensure the mission stays on track? I would my my advice to career employees as they get ready for this new this new administration or they are already um, you know welcome welcome aboard um, new new political appointees that that mo many of you have been this is not your first rodeo you've seen administrations turn over over the course of your career I'll tell you I can't even tell them how many times I I saw this and the advice I would give to you is don't. Um, don't make the folks coming in have to ask the perfect question. I think something that I learned very early on, it was actually one of my former bosses, um, Steve Cambone, um, former Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, when he looked at me and he said, you know, everybody assumes because I'm the new Undersecretary that I know everything. And he said, I know absolutely nothing. And so I think, I think as folks are coming in, do not assume that they, I mean, assume they know nothing. And so really make it your job to help them understand your culture, the problems, the strengths. Um, don't, don't make them ask the perfect question. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time for them. It's a waste of time for you. And so to the extent that you can always go above and beyond, don't just ask, answer the question that they've asked, but think about what it is that they maybe haven't asked and, and, and help them in that regard. They are going to be so much better and they're going to be so much more productive and they're going to be so much more grateful to you. Um, and that actually is a great way to establish um, partnerships, to expand your network, um, to grow as an individual and to grow as an organization. So, so don't, don't wait for them to ask the question. I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times 
I was um, grateful to folks who came in and said, you know, Ellen, I'm not sure you know this, but maybe you should. Um, I had one, my former chief of staff at INR, um, who said to me, you know, Ellen, you could sit here for two years and not do anything. That was just the way the culture of the organization was, and we will continue to operate. And he was absolutely right. I was never so grateful to him um, for that discussion. And actually, over the course of the next two years, he would come in often um, and say, have you thought about this? Or do you know about this? And there were a lot of folks that wouldn't do that. I was the assistant secretary that just thought I knew everything. I knew nothing. So help those folks out. That's great advice. You recently left your role. What is next for for you in what, your career? What am I going to do next when I grow up? It's got to be fun. Um, and and I, you know, I've often thought I've I've been spending this month or so since I've left government. First, a little bit sad because I really I think that I'm my best in government. I love government service. I'm bullish about the intelligence community and the people of the intelligence community. They are just the most amazing group of people. Um, I really look back on my career with great pride. And, um, and so if I can't do something in the government, I want to do something, I want to, I want to do something outside that still benefits my IC. And I, and, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. Maybe I'll start my own thing. Maybe, um, maybe I'll align to somebody who shares similar goals, but I, I will tell you, I'm taking this time to talk to folks that, um, at, at all levels inside and outside government to, to get advice and to learn about what's the art of the possible, but whatever it is, it's going to be fun. Your career and your success, you've really been truly inspirational. Um, any pearls of wisdom that you would have for that next generation, or you have a couple of kids, um, that you tell your kids to pursue a career? So it's funny, I, uh, you know, I've, I have been advising my kids to follow your passion. You know, I, I, of course, I would love to see them um, as they're both in college right now is to whatever they're doing to gain an appreciation and an understanding and a comfort with technology. You know, even if your, your goal is to be a historian, I mean, if you understand how technology can help you do what you want to do, you're going to be so much better off. But I'll tell you, be hungry. That's, you know, don't just be satisfied with the way things are. And I'll tell you that that's, that's something I advise all the folks that I mentor, all the folks that I look to hire, you know, I, I don't want, I want the person who's sitting on the edge of their, on the edge of the bench as they're getting ready to play basketball. You know, I want the people they may not necessarily um, have the best pedigree in terms of the best schools. Um, you know, certainly that doesn't hurt, but you know, those who are really um, willing to take on a task, who are not afraid to fail, who are hungry is to me the most important um, trait that I look for and that I hope my kids um, emulate you know, being passionate. When you're passionate about something, everybody around you um, tends to be passionate about it. And, and we need that. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. Always try to do better. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Ellen McCarthy. Ellen, I, I personally want to thank you for all your years of service. Uh, the IC community and the mission is just so important to our nation. And again, thank you for all the work you have done. And I also want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some really very, very, very valuable advice. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.